Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today we're going to be talking about deck building. It's going to be a really crunchy episode. We've seen some other content creators put out templates for how they build their decks. You may have heard suggestions about playing a certain number of ramp spells, a certain number of card draw spells, and a certain number of removal spells, so on and so forth. Um, I think these templates are really useful when you're starting out in Commander just to help ensure that you don't end up with an unplayable deck. But we want to dive a little bit deeper and help you determine for yourself how many cards of each type of each of these broad categories you should run in your deck. Uh, so we're going to be breaking this down uh, by like ramp, card draw, and interaction, and we'll have some caveats. Um, I want to give you some advanced warning. This is it's not going to be back of the envelope, but it is going to make a lot of assumptions. Um, it's definitely going to be sort of like spherical cow and like frictionless vacuum <laughs> type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. With that, Let's jump into this first category, and that is ramp. I, I guess like the the first thing I look for when I think about how many pieces of ramp to put in my deck is what turn I need to draw the ramp by, what I'm what am I accelerating to really is what matters. So for example, if you have a four mana commander like Volo Guide to Monsters, Volo's potentially like a commander that you really want to get down before you do anything else like it doesn't really get you much value if you cast your reclamation sage and your acidic slime and all these other things and then you cast your volo you need to get your volo down first and then you get value as you cast additional things later so given that you're trying to get this four mana spell out onto the battlefield as soon as possible you're limited in like the number of turns you can draw your ramp by like you need to be casting a ramp spell on turn one or two in order to get volo down one turn early on turn three so that's really dictating how i'm thinking about ramp and what types of ramp effects i want to look for so like Cultivate is a fine card, but it doesn't help me achieve the goal of getting Volo out sooner. Casting of of Cultivate on turn three doesn't really help me at all. I'm still going to be casting Volo the same turn as if I had never cast a ramp spell at all. So I'm I'm looking more at things like mana dorks, at like Lanoir elves, at rampant growth, at nature's lore. Those are the kind of things that are going to help you achieve your goal of getting this type of commander out sooner. So uh, given that information, that's going to impact what I plug into my hypergeometric calculator to figure out how many cards I need to successfully ramp out my commander earlier. So I really have only until turn two, until the end of turn two, to do my ramping. That means... I'm only going to see nine cards by that point in the game. My seven card opener plus two draw steps. So And so based on that, I, I've got nine draw steps. How many effects do I need to run in order to have a pretty good chance of seeing that ramp spell by the end of turn two? And the hypergeometric calculator tells us that if we run 16 cards that fit those criteria that that cost two or less and accelerate us by at least one turn uh, we'll get an 81 percent chance of seeing one or more of them by turn two so if you want to increase that percentage higher if you want greater certainty that you'll get volo down sooner then you can just add cards to the deck that achieve that goal but that's i think 80 percent is like i'm feeling pretty good generally is how i look at the, the hypergeometric calculator mm-hmm. uh, and can, can i say something before you keep going too yes so a lot of the time like if you listen to this show or have listened for a while like you've heard us talk about the hypergeometric calculator and that that's going to be a big focus of this episode but 
Um, it's not like I, <laughs> it's not like every time I make a deck, I have to go through and look up like how many two drop ramp spells I need for my four mana commander. Like if you do it once or twice, you kind of just get the number and you kind of run with it. You know what I mean? Like, like in, in some ways, like if you want, what we're talking about is like the, where to start so that you can like shift back and forth because like it's really going to be about feel so like i have decks that i put in the requisite number of two mana ramp spells for an 80 percent like chance to see it and then like have gotten mana screwed every time i've played that deck um so i just bumped that way up to like 90 percent and like cut a bunch of cards and uh, then the deck started playing better and i don't know why it could be just like really bad luck or something like that but this is kind of like uh, we're giving you the starting point for where to look. And honestly, all this hypergeometric calculator stuff is like the internet makes it really easy for you. And uh, it might sound daunting if you'd never done one before, if you like weren't a mathy person, but it's it's really easy. Like you just, you just kind of go oh, yeah. on and you, you plug in the numbers, uh, you get a percentage and then you kind of wiggle things around. Like it it's, it's not, you're not actually doing any math. That's why it's a calculator. So so don't be intimidated by like the first step that we're giving you here. Like, uh, and, and don't be intimidated by like, oh, I'm gonna have to do this for every deck. Like, you probably don't need to after you use it a little bit. Um, you'll kind of figure it out, and then, uh, like that's what this episode is for. Is we're kind of giving you a, even like a kind of more basis on why we do the things we do here. So. Um, yeah, I just don't want anyone who's not super math inclined to listen to this episode and go, oh man, like that's way over my head. It's, it, you're actually probably, if you're listening to this and you're thinking that like, no, you're probably actually super good. <laughs> like, yeah, like let the internet do its thing and you get to benefit and have good fun games with your friends. Great point. Yeah. Thank you for, for highlighting that. Um, all right, but okay. I'm going yeah, let's, to let's get keep back on into moving. the crunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um okay so note that like all the assumptions i've made up until this point uh ignore cards like soul ring and mana crypt that net mana the turn they come down like for example drawing a soul ring on turn three is still useful for ramping out volo because it's, it's gonna net mana you'll still be able to get him down a turn early and so if you plan to run these kinds of fast mana effects you can just simply run a separate hypergeometric calculation for that type of card uh, and then multiply the chance of seeing a fast mana card by the chance of not drawing a of not drawing a slow ramp card. God, I I, I feel like th- there needs to be a lot of visual aids uh, in this episode. Um, but basically, you can figure out um, like when you do your hypergeometric calculation to figure out how many like like your likelihood of not getting. Or of getting like a, a a ramp and growth or a Lanoir elf by turn two, uh, you can also see what's your chance of not hitting something in that window. So like my eighty one percent chance, okay, that's also a nineteen percent chance of not seeing one of those effects. And so you multiply that nineteen percent chance by the chance of of seeing one of these fast ramp cards that'll solve the problem on turn three, uh, and then you you can find out like of the times that the two mana that the slow ramp fails how many times are the fast ramp gonna save you that's all this this is all like difficult to communicate over a purely audio (laughs) medium but basically there's um you're you're you can work in fast mana ramp you can sort of undo the assumptions we're making here if you want to get a more detailed answer for yourself is basically Mm -hmm. the point i'm trying to drive home yeah and and i think anyone who's done some amount of math stuff whether that's like stats or like engineering or whatever like this shouldn't be like too unfamiliar to you like um it it, i feel like a lot of people who end up going to like college or like doing some kind of like trade will deal with percentages and that's kind of like all we're we're really talking about like we're we're mentioning it in terms of like these hypergeometric calculations and like that alone sounds like really big and complex, but like 
really, like I said, it's it's just a web page on a browser, and then you plug in some numbers, and you you don't actually have to think too hard. You can just click and benefit. So if these things are scary, really <laughs> don't 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 think too hard about it. I would actually honestly encourage you to give it a try because it's really easy and it really really helps with your deck building. And like Nick has been saying, like it really gives you an idea of like what you want and actually Nick's going to get into a really a big one uh or I think a really cool feature of this so like we were talking about Volo at four mana uh do you want to keep on going with yeah. your uh, your crunch right here sure um so there are other commanders that are like Volo in that you need to get them down kind of before your deck can do its thing um but if they're more expensive than Volo that's going to it's uh, going to greatly change like how you do your calculations to figure out your ramp. So for example, like the Locust God costs six mana. So really, rather than only having like turns one and two and like maybe turn three if you've got fast mana, uh, you've got more turns in which you can draw your ramp effects for them to have an impact on when the Locust God comes down. Rather than turns one and two, you have turns one through four to play your slow ramp. And then turn five to play fast ramp like rituals or, or um, like mana positive mana rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that means that we've got more draw spell or draw steps to play with. Um, and so even if you're looking for like the same certainty that you'll get a ramp spell, like let's say you're happy with that 81% number, rather than running 16 cards. 16 ramp cards to get that certainty you can only run 13 to still get an 81 percent certainty that you will get your commander down a little bit earlier you'll draw a ramp spell in time to cast your commander early and it's also worth noting like it's you're because you have four turns to play with you're much more likely to be able to cast multiples and get him down even faster um so whereas with volo like getting volo down on turn two is really really difficult but getting the locust god down turn two turns early is not that hard if you draw multiple ramp spells and you just play them in the early turns of the game and and also in addition to drawing multiple ramp spells you can draw like the ramp spells that can get you multiple turns ahead by themselves so for example like Worn Power Stone, Coalition Relic. Um, if you get them on turn three, then you can cast your commander, your six mana commander on turn four. Um, and similarly, like a Seething Song nets you two mana. So that can be used to get your commander down two turns early by casting a Seething Song and having a blue source on turn four. So, like, you can do a separate calculation to. S- looking at like 10 card samples or or like your opening seven plus three draw steps to see how likely you are to get a card that can ramp your locust god out two or more turns early in the first three turns of the game um and so all this information is just going to help you figure out like how quickly can i get down my commander how consistently will this happen and that'll help you do a lot more of the the planning in the rest of your in the rest of your deck so, for example, like uh, you may not want to run as many four drops if you think you can consistently be casting your commander on turn four. Like, like the turn you're casting your commander is also when you're potentially competing with other cards. Just something to think about as you're building your deck is like all this ramp is going to have implications on what the rest of your deck is going to look like and how you want to plan out the rest of your curve Mm -hmm. and uh, can i say like a little like example here sure um so i have a joel rail empress of beasts uh list so like the the original one from prophecy and uh that she is a five mana mono green commander and uh the three mana ramp spells are really good at getting her down on turn five because like cultivate gets you a land and then a land in hand so next turn you can cast her pretty much guaranteed oh you've been getting Um, her down on turn four 
Oh, so, yes. Sorry. Getting her down uh, on turn four. So yeah, you cast a cultivate, you get the bonus land, and then you get the land in your hand. So next turn you hit your land drop, guaranteed commander next turn. Um, and so I've had the deck for a while, and something I noticed when I was playing the deck was I put in, I did this, what we're talking about with the hypergeometric calculator at first, and the shape of my deck after playing with it I actually shifted around because what ended up happening was I had so many of those like three mana make two spells, whether that was like a cultivate or like a warm power stone or something like that, that it also made it so that the one mana ramp spells were even better. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I had to do, a, I did another calculation to see like how many one mana dorks are good so that I could go one mana ramp spell, three mana ramp spell, commander into a bunch of other stuff. Um, and that means that like the whole deck completely changed from like when I initially made it. Like I initially made it with like a bunch of these ramp spells kind of like uh, indifferent to the cost as long as they were like three or less. Um, and as long as like they made two. And so I'm like, okay, well I have like 10 ramp spells that make two uh, that cost three and then some other ones that cost two or one. And it's like, well, okay, I can actually cut a lot of the two mana ones focus on the three mana ones and the one mana ones like multiply those percentages together um or or you know compare the percentages add them add them together in the way you mentioned where you take the case of drawing a one drop times the case of not drawing something that's not a three mana spell like nick Mm kind of mentioned earlier and you can kind of piece together what the likelihood of getting your commander very very fast looks like so all of this is like kind of additive cumulative um and it kind of this example as you're listening to you might be going well zach that sounds like you have a lot of ramp in the deck and not a lot of card draw well do i have a something to tell you on what the next section is gonna be <laughs> yes so uh card draw is uh is honestly like an even more complex problem to solve yes yeah. <laughs> um, definitely so we definitely made some assumptions in when we were talking about ramp, but uh, we're going to make a lot more assumptions here. But just bear with us, because I think generally this information is going to be useful, but there is going to be a lot of specific cases you can point out where it's like, oh, that you know, it doesn't really apply in this case, or this confounds it a little bit. Um, so... Well, I mean, well, I'm just going to start out with some observations and sort of talk about how that led me to this method of calculating how much card draw I need. Um, so a long time ago, when the format was still pretty young, I had a nickel bolus deck I called Oops All Haymakers. And a huge proportion of the non-land cards in this deck were five plus mana bombs and the deck was designed to play one banger spell per turn. I would really only be casting one spell per turn, but it was so high impact that I could get away with it. Um, Because the high curve prevented me from emptying my hand, uh, I often ended the game with a decent grip of cards, and I, I really didn't need to worry about devoting a lot of real estate to card draw, because I, you know, other than like, playing my land and casting my one spell, I wasn't really going down on cards all that quickly. And then on the the other side of the spectrum, I've also played decks that had a really, really low curve and were trying to vomit out their hand onto the board as quickly as possible. Um, so for example, I had like a Jorkadeen list that was just trying to get Metalcraft and get a bunch of guys on the field so that you could make use of your commander's like big anthem. And that deck ran out of steam very quickly because everything was cheap and designed to be cast in the first couple turns of the game. Um, And as a result, like that deck played everything out and was really, really vulnerable to mass removal because it ran out of cards. And once you eliminate the stuff on the board, then it just has nothing to do. Um, So that's a deck that uh, in contrast to Oops All Haymakers, this Jorkadeen deck really could have used a lot more card draw. Um, but of course, the color identity prevented that. So clearly, like the the average, I mean, this isn't 
kind of obvious, but like the average CMC of your deck is going to influence how important card draw is for you. It's it's interesting that like both average mana values of decks have decreased and average game length has decreased as the, you know, as commander has progressed over the last decade or so. Because if those weren't if those two trends weren't happening at the same time, then it would really really change how we build our decks. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if if we were still having like 12 turn games, then all this super low mana value that we've been seeing lately uh, would make card draw so much more important because people would be emptying their hands and the game would continue on past the point where they end up in top deck mode. But I still think like card draw is very important and um, there is a way to figure out roughly when your deck is likely to end up in top deck mode so that you can then plan around that and try to include enough um, card draw to counteract that. And of course, like card draw isn't the only way to spend your mana. Like really, it's just an issue of having mana that goes to waste and you don't have anything to do with it. Like in color identities that don't have a lot of card draw, like good mana sinks are another way that you can um, just avoid this situation where you have tons of mana and nothing to do with it because then you just feel like you've lost control of the game. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. So like this this section, like you're talking about round cows earlier is is definitely round cows because there's a really big difference between uh building like a Mina and Den four mana drop like commander list and building like a uh Gaunty Lord of Luxury, you know, commander list, four drop list, like not only like color identities and stuff like that, but also like the goal of what you're doing with Mina and Den, like they kind of are a ramp spell. So card draw is better because the more lands you have in hand, the more ramp you're getting. Gaunti is kind of a card draw spell. So the more ramp you have, the more times you can cast Gaunti. So this this is the first like big caveat is like card draw is, is important and it's always going to be important. And if there's one thing about either of these categories because these are the two biggest things right like i think saying all of what we said so far and we're not quite done with like i think you have a really good um uh example that we're gonna go over um but like both of these things like end up coming down to feel of the deck and the gameplay experience that you want the gameplay experience of your meta i do know that there are metas like nick was saying that are still very much having like 18 turn games like they they love playing like one game a night that takes three hours or something like that like if that is the case then uh you should prioritize like card draw and stuff like that for the long game or like these engines mana sinks that go on but if your meta has uh, shifted much like most people's have then yeah i think uh card draw is always going to be good but you can kind of temper it with this expectation that we're talking about right here. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that, uh, let me sort of dive into this a little bit. Um, Yeah, it's a really good example. I actually really like this. Basically, I think before you, the the first information you're going to need to get in order to to figure this out for yourself is the average mana value of the non-land cards in your deck. Uh, most deck building websites are going to provide this info for you. For example, on Architect, you just click the stats button and that'll um, poop out the average mana value of your cards, of your non-land cards, rather. So uh, here's here's where we start getting into the assumptions. Uh, you got to assume that your deck is running enough lands to consistently hit your land drops. And assuming you're not currently running any card draw, ramp, or mana sinks, uh, you're, the, the way to figure out when you're going to run out of cards is the value of X such that the proportion of non-lands, uh, non-land cards in your deck times the average mana value of the non-land cards in your deck times X plus 7 uh, is equal to the sum of all available mana from turn one to turn X. So basically we're trying to figure out um, 
all things being equal, when does the amount of total mana you are have been able to produce over the course of the game overtake the total mana worth of cards that you could have spent it on? So, quick example. Uh, my E-Honda list is a mono-white deck with basically no card draw. The average mana value of its non-land cards is 2.89. So if we plug that into our equation and also like plug in the fact that I'm running uh, 61 non-lands and 38 lands, uh, we can see that X, the, the turn on which our mana available up until that point overtakes the total mana value of the cards we have drawn up to that point um, is probably going to be on turn seven is when that happens. Um, and notably, like that, that deadline gets pushed back when we cast our commander because we're spending a bunch of mana on a card that's not in our hand. Like our commander, although I guess you could factor that in, like if if you expect to be casting your commander in the game, let's say once, then you can just add that into the calculation of the total mana you're you're able to spend on spells. So maybe you can do that if you want to. If you don't expect to cast a commander, you can leave it out. Um, another thing that's likely to push back that deadline of of when our mana available overtakes the amount of mana we're able to spend. Um, you is when we are not able to spend our mana perfectly. So, like, if you don't draw any one drops, then your first turn's mana is just wasted, and so that is that keeps you from uh running out of of things to do earlier in the game. But still, I, I think that gives us a, a pretty rough estimate of when we need to see a card draw effect in order to postpone top deck mode. Uh, and we can use the hypergeum if we know that on turn seven we're likely to have uh, exhausted all the cards in our hand. Uh, we can use the hypergeometric calculator to figure out how many card draw effects we need to run in order to have a good chance of drawing one by that point in the game. This is obviously not the case, but let's say that there were enough harmonized variants in white or, or enough card draw effects in white that you could run as many as you wanted. Uh, 14 card draw effects would give you a 90% chance of drawing one by turn 7. And then the, the average value of cards drawn off of those effects, you can add that to that front half of the equation um, to help you keep pace a little bit with the, the growth that's going on in terms of your available mana. And, you know, granted, like, your mana available because it's this like additive function like you know it's turn one you have one mana turn two you've had three mana up until that point in the game it goes like one three uh six ten fifteen six and twenty one it's like that kind of faster than linear growth that's going to make it so that it you're very likely to run out of cards at some point just because unless you have an ex extremely high average converted mana cost but that's it's okay if your card draw isn't able to postpone that indefinitely like the game is going to end at some point and if the average commander game in your meta only lasts like eight turns then really that's your horizon you're aiming for you're just you just need enough card draw to ensure that you don't run out of cards before the game ends because you want to limit the number of turns where I have a whole bunch of mana and nothing to do with it. That's going to make you a lot more likely to lose the game, especially, you know, as the game progresses later and other people are casting haymakers and you just have no way to respond or develop your board or anything. So, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's my spiel on, on card draw. Do you have any other examples you want to bring in of how you've seen this play out in your own decks? Oh, well, earlier when I was talking about about Joel Rail, one of the things I mentioned was like how many ramp spells and things like that. And one of the problems with Joel Rail is that like, yeah, if my ramp is all one and three mana spells and I get my commander down like really early, turn like three or four, then how many spells do I actually have in my hand, especially because my commander utilizes cards and hands to 
do the thing that she does. Th- this was kind of a big concern. Like the velocity in which cards were being pitched was way higher. So when I started the deck, I actually like not only did I I change a bunch of the ramp in like later versions of the list, I also changed the deck to basically be like, what are the key cards that I need to do my thing? And then almost every other card ended up having to be some form of like card draw or recursion (laughs) Mm -hmm. because like the velocity of that list was so high that like if I wanted to make sure that I could just keep playing the game, then uh, it, it just needed to be the case that I had like 16, 17 card draw spells or something like that you know like like just some absolutely insane number like i i'm still running harmonize in that list it's like one of the only green decks that i still have harmonize in um even though i don't think harmonize is bad it's just hasn't been something that's been super good in our meta um and another example of this is like feather um like feather kind of wonks up the calculation pretty hard too because most cards in that list i think the cmc of that deck that i have is like 2.2 or something like that like it's really low like there's so many one drop cantrips or protection spells uh or sword to plash or whatever in there um but it kind of gets all goobered up in the calculations because once you get one of those spells it kind of is like a infinite draw spells (laughs) at the same time so like the calculation kind of goofs up because instead of going like i'm going to run out of steam in the late game it goes how do i get to the point where i don't run out of steam in the late game so like the target kind of shifts uh and that's going to be true with other commanders too if your commander draws cards um then you can kind of factor that into this calculation. You can be like, okay, well, I don't have to run as many card draw effects because my commander is going to help out with that. You can kind of plan on casting your commander at like a reasonable turn, see how much like your card velocity like shifts doing that uh, and kind of plan accordingly. Uh, and on the converse side, like you can have a deck like like Sir Conrad, which is a deck that I have and Sir Conrad uh does not have anything to do with card flow <laughs> like is strictly killing your opponents and so you you kind of end up needing a lot more cards in the list that facilitate that flow so really like i think what you want to do when we're talking about this is is like nick said you do the like non-lands times the average of non-lands and the the mana available all that kind of stuff um and then you will just tweak that to fit whatever you are trying to do or whatever you're trying to make happen. Um, and you're going to use the hypergeometric calculator to see like how much ramp is there. And, and really, like all of these things together put everything into like a pretty neat categories um, that you then can tweak after you play it. But definitely... Like all of this is part of like a gold fishing process, and all of this is part of like um, an iterative process. So, if it's the first time you've ever used a hypergeometric calculator, I think you'll be surprised at like how little and how like you end up having to change these numbers. If that makes sense, like if you make feather and you're trying to find like how many one mana card draw cantrips you put in the list, I, I pretty much stuck to my guns after that was done. Right, like I found. A percentage i was like all right 86 seems to be pretty good for me i put in my like 14 card draw spells and like i really haven't looked back <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. like it really has just been sitting there and everything else around it has changed but so so definitely like this this whole episode is an exercise in uh giving this a, a shot if you haven't before because you'll i think you'll if you're listening and you haven't used a ge- hypergeometric calculator, if you're interested in building decks and not so much like what we're talking about isn't power building. We're just talking about like maximizing your commander's utility, right? Like Joel Rail isn't a CEDH deck, but like in order to play it in a way that feels good and allows the commander to do what she's doing, 
I put in those ramp spells and I put in those draw spells and now all of a sudden I can play with my friends and it works out. So, um, yeah, that, I think that's, that's always been, point. yeah, I think that's always been sort of like the ethos of the show. We're not really interested in like the, the top 0.1% of commanders. Uh, and, and like if we were, this would be a, a CEDH podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is more, we're just more interested in like allowing you to optimize your deck like whatever commander you're drawn to yeah exactly like this whole episode this whole like idea of like templates and uh, the calculations that we're talking about they're specifically so that like when you sit down with your friends no matter what jank you put together like it still runs you know like like if you want to uh soup up an old dune buggy and bring it to the the table with all your friends but one of your friends has like lambo or whatever like you'll still be able to do that if you follow this template you know Mm -hmm. you're not going to get left behind you're going to be able to have a functioning pile of cards (laughs) at (laughs) your side that you can use and have a good time with your buds so that's kind of the the idea behind all of this um but we have another I, i think this is actually the category that most people get stuck on is the next one sure yeah let me let me dive into it so this is interaction um and really, like interaction is, uh, is nebulous. <laughs> it, yeah, because like different decks, you know, like ramp kind of works mostly the same for everyone. Card draw kind of works mostly the same for everyone. But interaction, like different decks, need very, very different things out of its in, out of their interaction. Um, and so, like for this section, it's more. These are just like considerations rather than like hard methods for calculating things. Yeah. Um, and and I want to say before, like a caveat, like uh, we do friend of the show, like Alex Whiteclay, when uh, they build decks, he's usually not putting in that much interaction <laughs> like mm-hmm. to um, to Alex. He would rather do what he's trying to do and and create threats to be answered rather than uh like pack some interaction to deal with your threats uh and that's like a style choice of gameplay that he has chosen um he has accepted that sometimes your threat will be the bigger one and he's going to lose um and that could be a consideration that you have you might be like well i don't feel good when i swords to plowshares my opponent's creature so i'm not gonna run it uh well okay cool well maybe there'll be something else in the section that can help you but uh there's like yeah this is the most what's the the word subjective section i think of this whole episode is interaction for sure um so i guess we'll we'll start this section off with a question like what does your deck need to interact with the most um and so you know, for me, if I've got like a fair number of aggro decks and the the type of card that's most likely to make me lose is a board wipe. Like I, you know, if I'm playing an aggro deck, I'm committing a whole bunch of resources to the board and for my opponents to just like, you know, six for one me with the wrath of God, that is one of the biggest hits I'm likely to take in a game of commander. So that's the kind of thing I really want to be orienting my interaction towards. So yeah, and 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 it also it just it feels so bad. <laughs> it it <laughs> does know? feel very very bad. <laughs> um, so like rather than like like spot removal that kind of thing is is still going to be useful in my deck. There's always going to be cards I want to answer on my opponent's side of the the field, but like one annoying creature may not be as likely to lose me the game as like the board wipes that I know my opponents are running in my metagame. So like maybe I'm going to, as I'm building up my interaction package, I'm going to lean towards things like Boros Charm or Flawless Maneuver, ways that I can, or, you know, if I'm in a blue color identity, that might, that might mean counter spells, but just ways that I can stop these like game ender cards from killing me. Uh, and that's what I want to be orienting towards. And then 
kind of following up on that, like how likely am I to see these cards that will lose me the game? Um, I once, well, a friend of mine once built a deck that was entirely board wipes. That was almost nothing but board wipes. And so if you see that kind of deck in your meta, you're going to, that's greatly going to influence what you put into the hypergeometric calculation as like, I need as close to 100% chance as possible to draw some sort of anti-wrath answer by turn four or five because one is going to be cast on that turn um whereas like if you're in a metagame like ours where maybe you'll see like one wrath per game maybe uh that's gonna lead you to you know be a lot a lot more or devote a lot less real estate in your deck to those types of cards Uh, another question that you need to be thinking about as you're you're putting your interaction into your deck is how fast do you win and sort of what your deck's overall game plan is because like i said you know most decks are going to want say like a swords to plowshares or, or some sort of way to interact with major threats that are likely to come down on the board but there's a difference between like needing to answer maybe one or two of those per game versus needing to answer literally every threat that you see so like a a very slow control deck with not a lot of win conditions uh that typically wins maybe like turn 12 or 13 like something just painfully slow uh you need to be able to answer a lot of things a lot of different types of cards um, and a large volume of them because if you're giving your opponents that much time before you try to win the game then they are going to draw a, a lot of threats that you are going to have to worry about so you know like blue white control or whatever uh, you've got to run you, you need to make sure that you're packing your deck through with lots of board wipes lots of spot removal lots of stack interaction uh, whereas like a deck that aims to end the game very quickly, like potentially before its opponents have, have kind of gotten off their feet, they can get away with running a lot less interaction because you're just likely to see fewer threats. If your game plan is to win by say turn six, like maybe you'll need to dodge a board wipe, or maybe you'll need to answer like some scary creature that's getting in your way. But if you're like fast aggro or combo or or something that's going to end the game very quickly, then you don't need to worry as much because your opponents don't have the same inevitability that they have when you're going to when you're aiming to win the game very slowly. So that's generally what I have to say on the, the subject of interaction without getting super deep into the topic because we only have so much time in our episodes. But that's that's kind of the things I, I think about when it comes to interaction. And do you have any real world examples or any other considerations for how you build the interaction into your decks? Uh, this one is really going to come down to like taste and like your play group. Um, if you know that you're playing like you, you tend to skew aggressive, um, and your play group doesn't play that much like single targeted removal, but they play a lot of like mass removal. That's going to affect the amount of board protection spells you run over other type of interaction. Maybe like it affects the amount of counter spells you run, um, that kind of thing. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm never super high on uh, certain types of cards when people talk about them in like, let's say our discord server is like, um, like snakeskin veil was the kind of card where like a few years ago i just would have never really considered running not because the card is specifically like bad or actively bad or doesn't do anything but because my meta just didn't run that many single targeted removal (laughs) spells like there is like nick and one other person who are really like running kill spells so if you weren't playing with them in a pod then it didn't matter and if you were then you had other outs or maybe graveyard interactions and things like that that could work um now 
that card has gone up in my evaluation. I do end up putting it into decks more because more people are running like spot removal. I feel like that also ties back into a point we made earlier where like the speed of the format is increasing. So like smaller, like the one, two mana removal spells are a lot better. Um, so really it's like, what is your goal and what is your meta doing about that? Like how is your meta either getting in the way of that? Um, where they're like actively disrupting you with like kill spells or or like passively like oh we just have a lot of wraths in our meta or oh they play a lot of combo so i'm gonna have to figure out some ways to deal with those pieces or something like that so i guess that's like the overarching goal i would like people to take away from this section is like like we mentioned it at the top of it like it's the most subjective section here but really like this is the one that i think people have the hardest time with because there's no correct answer <laughs> mm-hmm. for like how much interaction you should run like with the other sections you can plug into a hypergeometric calculator like i want to see this card by this turn but and, and you can do that here with interaction you could be like there's a lot of combo i want to see an enchantment removal spell by like turn for every game and you can put that into your deck and make that happen but most people's metas aren't that defined. So yeah, this is just the one where you're going to have to, you, you can kind of come up with something like that yourself. You can, you can set a goal like, well, uh, I play with a lot of pretty aggressive, like Voltron decks. I want a piece of removal by turn five, plug that into a hypergeometric calculator and put it into your deck. But for the most part, it's going to be like season to taste, you know? Yeah. So I guess I guess that's it. I think interaction is uh, being as nebulous as it is, being that it's like counter spells and protection spells and um, like removal spells and a whole other category of of things. You could have spells that like steal your opponent's things. All sorts of things can happen in this category that it's really going to be like what is your goal and you should just try to align with that as much as possible definitely that's just parroting what you said for the most part <laughs> uh well well that's fine i think we're in agreement on this um yeah <laughs> uh and and now i'll kind of kick it to the listeners like if you think there's some considerations that we we ought to be considering that we didn't mention here please let us know um if you've got your own method for figuring out like how to, to how many of, of each of these types of effects to include in your deck please let us know we're really curious to see like mm-hmm. you know what the latest deck building technology is out there yeah and, and can i say one thing too just as like a last closing statement on my side sure. is like this i definitely use the things in this episode and i usually when i make a deck for the first time it's usually very light on interaction like removal and things like that and i pretty much always over stuff the deck with things that interact with the commander so like an example of this is the strephon mauer mauer progenitor from the uh, crimson bow commander set the first version i made of that deck i just put basically every single card that like interacted with blood positively or Mm. like pinging and stuff like that just to see like what felt good what worked and stuff like that uh, I used a calculator eventually uh, because I didn't really have to think too hard about this deck in particular because it came with a mana base and and a bunch of other stuff in the deck that uh, basically stayed in there. There's a lot of the cards that are basically from the stock list because uh, it turns out that like, okay, yeah, Soul Ring's pretty good. A lot of these blood cards are pretty good with your commander. Who would have thought that they'd put them in the deck with him? But... <laughs> The first version of that list was very light on interaction and very high on synergy cards. And then as I zeroed in on like what synergy cards were worth it and uh, what kind of interaction I needed, the numbers shifted and I actually did go back to look at hypergeometric calculation. Like, oh, how many ramp spells should I be running now that I've actually played this list? So... I do usually start with hypergeometric calculation and the things we've said in this episode for ramp and whatnot, but I usually end up low on interaction for like the first version or two of a deck that I make just so I can see like, well, what 
feels good <laughs> like what what cards are actually worth it to run because there's definitely times i've been like oh this card is going to be so good in this deck and it was a clunker you know mm-hmm. but i wouldn't have known that unless i tried it so that's definitely go out and try it and if you're listening to this episode like nick said tell us your process too so that that's kind of like my holistic process in a nutshell uh this episode in combination with what i just said and and maybe you don't think about card draw at all the first time you go through a deck and then you go okay well i'm gonna up the card draw as i'm playing it maybe you don't hyper fixate on ramp like me and nick do (laughs) (laughs) um then i want to hear like how you come to what you do and like maybe we can iterate on this process as well so yeah definitely let us know and if you have any decks that like are very silly have like really funny proportions of spells like let us know too because that's always really interesting to see yeah for sure all right well i think with that we can bring this episode to a close i want to give a brief thank you to our patreon patrons they are gustav ryan addison rick Raphael, kyle laser charlotte the white clays hannah andy james logan roger evan bryce dylan benjamin jamie Matthew, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Emmanuel, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Brugal Brutal, Carl Oscar, Gremlin, and Danny B. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commander theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.